0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here. So we are in week three of a series we've been calling God Talk. Uh, the first week we talked about what's happened over the last couple thousand years plus and what does God Talk look like and where is the church, uh, where has it come from, where it, how has the, the um, environment changed around us right now and, and how do we lean into this talking about God thing. Then the second week, uh, so that week we asked, uh, where are we? The second week we asked, uh, what am I supposed to do? And we said, as a as a follower of God, as somebody who's maybe thinking about following God, like what am I supposed to do? What's required of me as I look in the Bible? What does it have to say? And that was a wonderful week. Today, uh, we're asking the question: Is this working? So we're going to look at some models of God talk over the past few years, and we're going to hold them up to the light a little bit. We're just going to say, okay, is it working? Did it work once upon a time, but it just doesn't work anymore? Do we need to tweak it? Do we need to do something different? Uh, Because even like we said last week, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We said that we have to hold the way that we talk about him very loosely, in light of what's happening around us and in light of what's happening in lives around us. Last week we learned that the good news, uh, the good headlines about Jesus are, are like they're, they're deep and, and vast and, and far and wide and it's hard to make them concise. Uh, But at the same time, there's this consistent stream that runs through these stories of Jesus' followers in the Bible where they are all reorienting themselves uh, around and towards Jesus, and they're pursuing him. So all the stories look kind of different about how they get to Jesus. All of their stories of walking with him look different, but... The thing that's consistent is that they're reorienting their whole life towards Him. Reorienting, then we said, means like a change in direction. We were going this way, now we're going this way, uh, and reorienting also looks like refamiliarizing ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but once you once I jumped on the Jesus train, I don't know if I always stayed on the right track right? And so that's what reorientation looks like. Um, Now, we are going to uh, go through a little metaphor today, uh, a story. Uh, Do you like metaphors as much as I do? Oh, good. Thank you for feigning enthusiasm, even if if that's not the case. So I, I appreciate that. So uh, we are going to uh, talk through a metaphor now. Metaphors can sometimes leave us in a spot where we're like, what exactly did that mean? And, and that could be a fun thing. It's like a poem, and it's a thought grenade that hits us, you know, five days down the road, and we go, ah, oh, that's what that thing meant. But I'm going to make it easy for us and give you all of the secret decodering Things that you need to interpret this metaphor right at the top. So, all right. So, this is a metaphor about a woman, a car, and a mechanic. Uh, okay. And this is this is the secret Dakota ring part. The woman represents a woman. Yeah, and, and, and the car represents her life, the state of her soul, uh, how she views herself, uh, the, the image of God in her and how she understands that or not, and like uh, her very being, all right? And the mechanic represents Jesus in this story, okay? Easy enough? So here's scenario one. This woman has this unique car. It's beautiful. It's red, by the way, because my friend Alicia, when I was telling her this story, she said the car's got to be red. So it's a red car. There you go, Alicia. Uh, it's fantastic. It looks so perfect on the outside. I mean, no dents, no dings. No, it's just perfect. She lives in Folsom, El Dorado Hills area, by the way. And uh, now her car is, is broken. It's, it's not working. It's not running right. And, and right next to her, uh, right next door to her is this mechanic. And he comes over one day, and he talks to her, and he says, look, I could fix this car. Actually, you're going to think this is absolutely crazy, but my dad invented this car. And she says, you're kidding me. And he says, yeah, no, no, actually, I'm the only one that can fix this car. Now, she thinks that his claims are a little bit outlandish, but she goes, okay, I'll give this guy a shot, and and lets him start working on the car. But every time he works on the car, she has this little little doubt, like she, she thinks... I don't know, can he really fix this? And then he'll fix something else, and she'll go, okay, well, that was good the last time, but maybe it was a fluke, the plants aligned, I don't know, but can he really fix this problem? And he continues to do this ongoing maintenance because he says, that's what this car needs. Okay, scenario two same car, same, same woman, same mechanic, different story. So forget the first story. Um, so s- she barely knows this mechanic who lives next door, but she's heard about him. And one day she shows up on his doorstep crying. She can barely get her words out. Like she's not making sense. She's just mumbling like she's such a wreck. She's snotting all over the place. And, and he, he comes down and he, he puts his hand on her shoulder and he interprets what's going on. Because he's astute, he's a good mechanic, and he begins to work on her car. Scenario three, same woman, same car, same mechanic, different story. She's tried a bunch of mechanics. She's tried a a ton, and no one can fix this car. She runs into her neighbor one time and finds out he's a mechanic. She never even knew it, and he lives right next door. Here's the crazy thing. This mechanic uh, starts sneaking over to her house at night. And he goes into her garage and he starts working on the car. He, he even picks the lock to get in. Like he goes in there and he starts doing some stuff on the car, fixing it a little bit at a time. Days go by, months go by, years go by. One day he shows up and he knocks on her door and out on the street is her car and it's running. And he says, come on, I want to take you for a ride. Scenario four, same woman, same car, same mechanic. New story. She's tried to fix this car so many times. I mean, she was persistent. Uh, she's, uh, she's got grease underneath her fingernails, and her elbows are banged up, and the wrench has slipped so many times. And, uh, but she goes to his house one day, and, and she admits that she knows nothing. She says, look, I've been so full of pride. Like, I thought I could fix this, but I can't. And he sees how banged up she is, and, and he goes, hey, I'm going to fix your car. And she says, can I offer to pay you? He says, no. Oh, I fixed the car for free. That's what I do. Scenario five, uh, same woman, uh, same car, same mechanic, different story. Doesn't even know she has a neighbor. This is the world she lives in. Like she doesn't even know that she has a neighbor. And she's at a party one time and her friend says, oh my gosh, you have to meet somebody. Have, have you met this guy? He lives right next door to you. And she says, no, I, I don't think we've ever met before. And uh, he says, no, actually we've met a ton of times. And she says, I'm so sorry. And then a year goes by and she runs into this guy going down the street and he says, hey, how's it going, neighbor? And she says, oh, I'm sorry, have we met? And he goes, well, yeah, I mean, we have, we've met, we've talked before. And she says, oh, I'm so sorry. And then a little bit of time goes by and there's a barbecue up in Old Dorado Hills and all her friends are there and they're talking about cars and, and, and uh, they go, oh, well, you should meet the mechanic. Have you, have you met this mechanic? He fixes car. She goes, no, I don't think we've ever met. And he goes, okay, I mean, it's cool. But yeah, we actually have met a bunch of times. And then one day, all of these stories kind of come to a head. They all culminate and she goes, oh my goodness, wait a minute, this mechanic, I need to talk to him. And so she goes next door and says, would you fix my car for me? And he says, absolutely. She offers to pay, but no, he does it for free. Scenario six, same woman, same car, same mechanic. Um, She grew up in a household where mom and dad used the mechanic all the time. They had the greatest things to say about the mechanic. But see, she has this strained relationship with her parents. And so every time the mechanic comes up, she just, she doesn't want to hear it. And then they start working on their relationship. They start healing. They start talking. They actually get to a spot where they start laughing again. And then she says, one day she goes, mom, dad, can I, can I have the, the phone number for that mechanic? And they go, well, yeah, sweetie, this is going to be easy. He lives right next door to you. bunch of fun scenarios. And we could, we could make up more. Here's the deal. The consistent thing in, in this is that the way that she meets the mechanic is different in every single one of them. It's like the same mechanic, but she meets them in a bunch of different ways. Now here's what would not work to get her to work on her car. This is what would not work to get her and the mechanic on the same page. People show up on her lawn and they've got picket signs right? And one says, God hates broken cars. And one says, fix it or nix it. And one says, accusations 316. And, and like, like, that wouldn't work. And then this one wouldn't work. Maybe somebody goes on social media one day and, you know, they've seen her car sitting on the street. And so they put broken cars are stupid. And they shame her. They put it out there. They don't really mention her by name. They're just kind of passive aggressive. But she reads it. She knows what's going on. And this wouldn't work. Somebody shows up at her doorstep one day and they've got a, a contract and they say, I am not leaving this place today until you sign this contract. Choose my mechanic. And she goes, Well, I, I really don't even know your mechanic. Just, just choose him. Just, just sign on the line. This is high pressure kind of thing. And then this wouldn't work. Somebody shows up at her house and they point a finger at her because uh, they've seen her car and they decide that they're going to inst- inst- instill some fear in her. And they're like, You know what happens to broken cars? Broken cars get crushed. This guy even has a bumper sticker that says, broken cars get crushed. And every time he goes by your house, he honks the horn. Like none of that works, right? None of that is helpful. Now here's here's the thing that's that's good and consistent through all of the stories that do work. The mechanic is the only one who fixed the car. There's many ways to reach out to him. The mechanic is well aware of the car situation. He's way more patient than his clients. The mechanic never relies on high pressure. No one fixes their car or anyone else's. He's the only one who does it. Like, those things run consistent through all of those stories, even though there's many ways that she gets introduced to the mechanic. Now, over the years... We have tried many different ways to introduce people to the mechanic, so to speak. And so we're going to take a little journey, and we're going to talk about what has worked in the past, maybe, some of the redeeming qualities of God talk, and then we're going to talk about some things that are potentially destructive and damaging, and some things that probably just don't work anymore. Now, I'm going to ask for grace as we go into some of these, because some of them are sensitive, Some of them, for some of us, we go, well, well, actually, that's the way that I met Jesus. And and that's okay. That's okay. That's all right. But what we want to do is we want to ask, in the climate that we live in, in the culture that we live in, in what's happening in the world around us, does this kind of God talk work anymore? Okay? Because there's no prescription in here, right? So here's the first one. Door-to-door knocking. God talk door-to-door now, back when the world was perfect and everything was black and white, 1950-ish, we, we started going door to door and talking about Jesus with people, but, but I want you to think about the climate that you and I live in right now. How many times a day do we get, or a week, do we get a phone call and we just can't wait for that thing to say, to be removed from our mailing list, please press, like, we do that all the time, Right? Like, we don't want anybody calling us and selling us anything. And when anybody shows up on our door, and and if it feels like they're trying to sell us something, it just doesn't feel right. So at least we have to say, is that working? Does it work? Well-intentioned, beautiful people, wanting to introduce people to Jesus, but does it work? The next one we're going to call Kitch Christ, Kitsch Christ, K I T S C H. Uh, when things are kitschy, they're kind of knickknacky and they're kind of cute. And this is the kind of thing where on social media, uh, we put pictures of Jesus holding kittens and, and sitting on rainbows. And, 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 and we send videos with, with, with Christian songs and, and cute little things to everybody. And we say things like, watch this video and send it to 250 of your closest friends. <laughs> and make sure they watch it, because if they don't watch it by the end of the day, they're going to miss out on a blessing, like, that's just, at least we can admit that that's, that's awkward at best sometimes, right, Uh, the other one I'm just going to call offensive tactics, no apologies here, it's just offensive, like, these are the things that we go, this never worked, right? Like when I'm walking down the street uh, and I see a hundred dollar bill and I'm so excited and I pick it up and I open it up only to find that there's Bible verses inside that tell me about the wages of sin being uh, death and, and how, you know, money is the, the root of all evil or the love of money. Like that, that's not helpful, especially if you say, you know, I'm not going to really leave, leave a tip for my server. I'm going I'm to leave this, you know, And that poor girl comes out and finds this $100 bill and opens it up. You know, she was so excited that she was going to get her kids gifts that Christmas. But instead, she gets to read that. It's just offensive. It just, it doesn't work. And there's a whole bunch of things like that. Now, this next one, I'm going to walk super careful. Extra grace required here. The next one is what we call the sinner's prayer approach to God talk. And that is where we say, in order to be right with God, you have to pray these specific words. All of this. You have to say, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that Jesus died. I admit that Jesus rose from the dead. I want to make him Lord of my life. I'm ready to turn my back on my old life and follow him. This is nothing I can do. There's a whole list of things that we have to say. Now, here's, here's the thing. Like many of us probably prayed a prayer just like that, and it was a beautiful thing. Maybe it was, it was fantastic. But I, I wish I could show you chapter and verse in the Bible where we, where we find that prayer, but it's not there. It, it's been an attempt for us to be able to say, there's many things that the Bible talks about in following God, and we're going to put them all in this prayer. We're going to say to people that they need to pray this prayer, but it's, it's just not there. So what do we do with things like the thief on the cross who dies next to Jesus and all he says is, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he says. He recognizes Jesus and that's it. He didn't pray that whole prayer, right? See, see where at least it has the potential to be weird. Then there's what we call mixtape Jesus. Mixtape Jesus is, I, you know, I went through the 80s, and mixtapes were big things when, when John Hughes movies were popular. And, uh, you know, Little Pretty in Pink, anyone? Yeah. Okay, all right. Anyway, so, uh, you know, you put together a, a, a mixtape. You'd say, hey, I want you to, to listen to this uh, pastor sermon, or I want you to look, read this book, or I want you to listen to this Christian band. Now, it's not, again, it's not that those things are bad, it's just as a starting point, sometimes it's at the very least awkward because it has the potential to be interpreted as you are my project. I want to fix you. Please listen to this because I don't really have the words or the time to share with you myself. And at the very least, it has the potential to feel awkward. Then there's what we call the if you died tonight approach. Now, This is where you say, if you died tonight and you stood before God, would you be able to get into heaven? The implication is if you don't have the right answer, you're going to take the elevator or the escalator straight down to the basement, right? (laughs) And then where it gets really ugly is when you see things like this on the Internet, which is a, a picture of people burning in hell with a very beautiful Jesus looking on. And it's, it's steeped in fear. And I don't, I don't know that we ever see Jesus or anyone else inviting people into this abundant, beautiful life with that as a starting point. And the last one, I'm going to be super careful. But we're going to call this God talk that requires somebody to accept Jesus into their heart. Now, there's a passage in Romans chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul says, and he's talking about um, ancient Israel. He's talking about his friends. He says, since they didn't know the righteousness that comes from God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness Christ is the end of the law, like keeping all the rules, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And he goes on to talk about Jews and Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, and the insiders, the outsiders. Like everybody is invited into this thing. And so it's not that accepting Jesus is necessarily bad or evil. It's just that it's not the full picture because actually the bigger, fuller picture is this idea, like Paul says, that God is accepting you and I. He's the one that is doing the accepting. He's the one that's doing the inviting. And so it has the potential to go weird, and because it's become such a buzz phrase, it also has this potential to just be misinterpreted and, and misused and and have these uh, connotations that just... At one time, maybe it made supersets, but but now at least... The very least we have to question it. Now, we'll say this for sure about all of these different ways that people come to Jesus and all of this different God talk. If it's void of relationship, it all goes bad. I have a friend who says people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. It's bumper sticker wisdom, right? But but it it makes sense. People want to know when we're talking about God that we actually care about them. But in our attempt to sometimes well-meaning, uh, sometimes coming from a very beautiful place of trying to tell people about God, we reduce our conversation to what I'm going to call Costco, Ikea, and clip art. <laughs> Costco, God talk, is the kind where we say one size fits all. doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. One size fits all. But if you've ever tried to buy 128 ounces of mayonnaise and fit it into your refrigerator, then you know that one size does not fit all. And if you read the the stories of people following Jesus in the Bible, you see that one size does not fit all. That the approach is always different. Jesus is always approaching people in different ways. And then there's IKEA God talk, and this is kind of a a simplified step by step just follow these things and you're going to be okay with God. And it may make sense until they take the thing home and they unpack it and they start to put it together and they go, This makes no sense at all. (laughs) This is not functional. How did I get suckered into buying this thing anyway? I mean, the Swedish meatballs were fantastic, but... <laughs> like, so, it just, it feels awkward. And then, and then clip art is, um, it's not thoughtful. It's one-dimensional. It's not deep. It's, um, it, it's playful. It's empty at times. It's certainly not art. People don't end up talking about how moving and deep the clip art was, right? Now, we're being fun, we're being playful, but again, remember that uh, that these things all come from a spot uh, where people are, they desire that other people know about God, but then sometimes it just goes weird. And in our attempt to be concise with all of this stuff, I fear that sometimes we've minimized the gospel, the good news, that it's it's huge. The good news is so much bigger than talk about heaven. It means that your relationship can be fixed. It means that you can talk to your friends again. It means that possibly you're going to have Thanksgiving with your kids sometime. Like It means that all of that, that stuff that's cluttering up your mind and and feels unhealthy and destructive that, that he actually wants to do something and like heal that. That's, that's good news. But sometimes we reduce the God talk to what is sometimes called decisionism. And we say... The way that we're going to know that we've done our job and the way that we're going to know this person is actually following Jesus is to make sure that they raise their hand, make a commitment, say this prayer, walk forward, do the following things that are all an outward sign. Of what is happening inside. And really, it makes us feel good about ourselves in those situations because we feel like we've we've done our duty. But it seems like God talk and the way people come to Jesus and the and the process and the, the tension in these Bible stories is just messy. It's not always so pretty and wrapped up so nice. And, and then we have these stories like the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, before he was Paul, he was, he was Saul. He was a terrorist. He hated Jesus' followers. And then one day, he's going down the road, and he hears a, a, a voice from heaven speaking to him. Why are you persecuting me? And the next thing you know, the guy's blind, and he's in a stranger's house, and, and people who are Jesus' followers are surrounding him. He ends up spending a few days with them, getting healed of his blindness. Next thing you know, he's out on the road talking about Jesus, that we... But we never read about this decision that he made, or like like he got hit upside the head with the god brick. Like that's what happened. Just one day he went, "Oh my goodness, this is all wrong," and he started living his life differently. What do we do with passages like Romans uh, chapter ten, where we we visited earlier, where? Where he says, uh, if, we confess with, if you confess with your mouth, he says in verse 9, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's beautiful. But is he saying that everybody who follows Jesus must believe everything that Jesus said about himself from the get go and must say that out loud so everybody hears it? That's not what he's saying. Because a little bit later, he says, Scripture says anyone who trusts in him will not be put to shame. Well, So I can trust in him without knowing everything about him and without reciting a specific prayer out loud? I think so. And then later on, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I can just call on the name of the Lord? Like there's not a specific thing that I need to say and I don't need to understand it all? Yeah, absolutely. And then he goes on to say that faith comes from hearing this message. And we learn in other parts of the Bible that, that you and I are rescued or saved, to use an old word, by, by grace. It's this gift. The mechanic fixes our car for free. And this, this, this grace has this faith component to it. And so we go, okay, so what is it? I say it out loud, I, I, I raise my hand, I, I trust, I, I, I believe, I, I move forward, I have faith. It's all those things. And sometimes they happen at different points in our life. Like sometimes they happen not all at the very beginning. And when we try to make it concise and say, you have to believe these exact things and say these exact things at this moment to move forward and make sure that you're on the Jesus train, then we end up creating weird categories for ourselves. And we end up creating some weird things that don't even exist to try to justify this thing that we've created. Like we say things like, um, you know, there's an age of accountability. This is an idea that somebody came up with once upon a time. And they said, it means this, that when, when children are young and they can't make a decision for God because they don't know what to do, that God has this grace and mercy reserved for kids. But then but one day something happens we don't know when that day is, but their mind changes. All of a sudden they can understand and all of a sudden they become accountable. And, and, and we don't know when that is. You know, it's six, nine, 13. 27? I'm actually thinking maybe 27 from a, f- a few of the conversations that I've had recently. But like, like, wh- like when, does it, when does it happen? And, but the thing is, I, I would like to take us and look at chapters or verses that talk about an age of accountability, but, but honestly, it's just, it's not there. And so it's a category we've had to create to kind of justify and make sense of these other things that we've said must happen but it's a way more messy in Scripture. And we see that He's always inviting us to, to be authentic and to listen to people and converse with people and explain what we're talking about. Like, and, and sometimes that's a process and sometimes it's a long game and sometimes we don't know exactly what God is doing, but we trust that the mechanic is always tinkering under the hood. That's a beautiful place to be because that means it doesn't get down to you and I to make sure that the God stuff happens. I try as hard as we can. That's not, the, that's not the case. Now, here's another interesting thing. We live in a bubble. We talk about this all the time. We, like the Folsom Eldorado Hills, you know, maybe even Northern California altogether. I don't know. Some of us live in this bubble. And the idea is, and you know, we've we've talked about this before. It, it means that, like, we're such shiny, happy people. We're such beautiful people, right? Like, everything is going so great in our life, wink, wink, that, like, sometimes we, we enjoy living in this system where we are feel protected and we don't have to, to see the evils of the world. You know, Southern California. We don't, like... Like, like we... But you know what we've done, too, is that we've, we've created another bubble inside of the bubble, and we call it the church. If we're not careful, this bubble is, is, is sad and destructive. We end up creating our own language and way of doing things as we hunker down and we protect ourselves. And we end up saying weird things in this bubble like, does anybody know a good Christian plumber? like okay. Because, you know, I like, to, I like to support the Christian plumber. I don't know what we think that, like, the Christian plumber is going to have, you know, a corner on the plumbing market, like he's going to be more trustworthy. Ha, 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 That doesn't always happen. No way. And here's the thing. Like, let's support our friends. Sure, great, I got it. Your friend's a Jesus follower and he's a plumber? Great, hire him. High five to the friends. That's awesome. But when we, when we say, I, I, just, I really like to support people in my tribe, well, that's where it gets weird. Because see, this guy over here who's not following Jesus, he's got kids that have to eat too. So what would it be like if we invited him over to fix the pipes and then we had a big barbecue and celebrated him for the work that he'd done? Like, how beautiful could that be? But instead, we create the Christian Yellow Pages, <laughs> which is a real legit thing. we have to be super careful about that. We create our new language too, this, this language that sometimes the longer that we walk with Jesus, if we're not careful, it gets harder and harder for anyone to understand us because we start using weird words and phrases and like without any explanation. There's this old SpongeBob episode where he's trying to get back to Bikini Bottom and he's trying to buy a bus ticket And so he he says, you know, just goes up and he says, in plain English, I need to buy this bus ticket. And and, and the guy selling tickets says, I can't understand your accent. SpongeBob is just like so confused. And so he says it again. He says, slower, I can't understand your accent. So SpongeBob says, I'd like to buy a ticket to Bikini Bottom. Oh, Let's well, see, sometimes, if we're not careful, we create the same kind of scenario. And they can't <laughs> understand <laughs> what we're saying. <laughs> you know you want to do it. Do it with me. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's just fun. I can see you all just sitting there going. And we end up saying things in this bubble like, when our, when our kid has a friend over and, and the friend drops the F-bomb in our house, we say, whoa, 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 hey, we don't talk like that in this house. But see, this is a, we're, we're Jesus followers. But see, in this bubble-protected kind of world, we become the sin police sometimes. And what do we want that kid to remember for the rest of his life? That we shamed him? Or that he was welcome in our home, see, I want a home where every bike in the neighborhood is on my front lawn, where kids feel welcome at my place. I think you want the same thing. So what do we do as as witnesses then how do we how do we handle this this God story? How do we do this God talk well. We talked about witnesses a little bit last week. Here's the thing. Witnesses tell their own story, for for one thing. Like, our own story. um, That's uh, the things we've heard and the things we've seen and the things we've experienced about God. It's not perfect. As a matter of fact, like, the more perfect we try to make it, the less believable it is. So we need to see... People need to hear about our doubts and our confusion and our frustrations. We talked about the Great Commission last week where Jesus is standing with his disciples and he says, look, as you go out into the world, I want you to make disciples I want you to tell people about me, baptize them, uh, teach them to obey the things uh, that I've told you because I want, I want to protect them. I want you to invite them into this thing. This is what we didn't read last week. I love this. It's so great. The verse right before Jesus says all that, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. His very disciples who had been walking with him who ate dinner with him, Who like everything he did and said came, came true and was miraculous. And he rose from the dead. Now here he is. He's standing right before them. Some of them worshiped. Some of them doubted. When we tell our own story, we need to be honest with all of that. We can't tell someone else's story. We can only tell our own. This is why it's so important in this place for us to like write our own songs from time to time because we believe God's doing stuff here and we want to tell that story. We don't want to tell somebody else's story. This is why uh, when, you know, Brad speaks or Sean speaks, uh, sometime you, you, you leave here and you go, oh, man, I feel like that was speaking right to me. Well, the reason that happens is because it's because people are sharing their own story. And and our shared story starts to make sense in the way that we we think about God. We're called to, I think, we're we're called to incarnate the story. And this is what incarnation is. It's your top shelf theological word for the day, boys and girls, incarnation. Incarnation is the idea that God became man and lived among us, right? And John chapter 1 talks about this. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 14. We're going to put the whole thing up here. The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He lived among us, he dwelled among us. And that's now you and I, because Jesus is living in us, we incarnate the story in the world. And an incarnation leaves room for process and messiness and stumbling and doubt and yuckiness and not knowing exactly what we're doing and I love that. I love that. I was eating lunch or breakfast with my friend the other day. I was having him a bowl of fruit, uh, which health points. Thank you very much. And we had just come from the gym, double health points. And we were sitting there talking about God. And he said, you know, what's interesting as you eat this bowl of fruit and we're talking about God, I'm thankful for this. And and I was thinking through this. He said, sometimes when people have tried to talk to me about God, it's like they hand me an apple and they say, here you go. Choke that apple down. I want to watch you eat the whole thing right in front of me. Do it. And he said, it's like maybe I get halfway through the apple, but I'm just kind of not interested in the apple. He said, but I I would venture to guess that if they took it and they cut it up into pieces, that they actually could probably add more apple. They could probably put three or four or five apples. And then as we're sitting across the table and we're talking about God, it's like, I'll eat that apple all day long. I probably end up eating three or four apples. He said, I I feel like that's how God talk should be. I said, dude, you're amazing. I'm gonna use that this weekend. That 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 is beautiful. And he said, well, you made it up. I said, no, I didn't. No, he said. No, you said something. that made me think of it. I said that doesn't count. You made a beautiful metaphor. That's awesome. And he said, No, 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 no. Really, it was yours. I said, Fine. I'll tell everybody anyway. I have this great Apple story that I made up. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, it's perfect. Our God Talk journals that we have uh, have this logo on them that has this this flame in the circle, and uh, and and the logo is to remind us of a few different things um, that that God talked to Moses at this burning bush, gave him his name, talked how he wanted to rescue and protect his people. And it's, it's to remind us that every bush is burning around us, as my friend Len says. Like, God is always speaking. God is always wanting us to pay attention to the burning bushes around us and invite people into this conversation and share our stories. And also, that logo is broken and it's messy and it's, uh, it's grungy looking because, honestly, that's how life is. And that's how honest God talk looks. And it's also supposed to remind us that bonfires are like, that's the place where God talk happens. It's, it's in all of those on the way to something else things. It's like, it's having people in our backyard and sitting across the table, and uh, it happens all over the place. You know, he's inviting us into something super, super special, and it's way easier than we make it sometimes. Lord, thank you uh, for inviting us into this, and thank you for this being able to talk about these things. Sometimes, I think for, for all of us, when we talk about you, God, we wonder how many things are coming out of our mouth that are um, not right or you know distorted or whatever. I think about that every time I open my mouth and, and talk about you. But you use that messiness and... And you have entrusted this message uh, to us. And we, Lord, we want to be faithful and we want to be honest with our God talk. Thank you for giving us a name and giving us a privilege of talking about you. Lord, it's another privilege to give to you. We're going to give to you in a minute, Lord, and we pray that you would use these gifts to do amazing things for your namesake. Everything we have is yours. Everything we have is yours. We love you. Amen.